Well, good morning again, Village Church. If you have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 21. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 21. Union in Christ, that's something that I've been talking about the seems like over the past month now. And union in Christ is a very important theological concept. Yes, Lord. You might need to turn me down a little bit, I guess. So union in Christ is a very important theological concept. Very important. And it really is a game changer because once you truly understand who you are in Christ, it changes the way you function as a Christian. It changes everything about the way you live and function. Because union with Christ, it changes the way God relates to you. It changes the way God relates to you. No longer are you his enemies. You are now his sons and daughters in Christ. That's union in Christ. It changes the way you relate to yourself. Think about that. Your union in Christ changes the way you relate to yourself. It changes the way you see yourself. No longer an orphan but a child, no longer a stranger, but you're known, no longer without um, knowledge of God, but you're now God's family, God's sons and daughters. That's how he sees you, and that's how you should relate to yourself. And thirdly, union with Christ changes the way you treat and relate, uh, to relate to other people. It changes the way you relate to other people, particularly other believers, these believers are no longer, no longer those people who go to that church. They are now your family, my family. And every believer, every believer in the world is part of God's family, part of this family. This God's big, diverse, multicultural, multigenerational, multi-ethnic family. That's what we're part of. And his family matters to him. And it should also matter to his people. I said last week that when family matters to God's people, then they would do life together. And we saw this in Colossians 3, verses 9 through 17. And the Apostle Paul showed us what that would look like to do life together. And now this morning, the Apostle is going to move away from the church to the home. To your home. To your household. To your immediate family to your marriage. Because union with Christ changes the way families relate to one another. That's the amen statement. Okay. If family matters to you as a believer, then you will strive to do life with your immediate family, not just live in the same space together. I said it again. If family matters to you as a believer, then you will strive to do life with your immediate family, not just live in the same space together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, the Apostle Paul shows us how families can do life together, ways a husband and wife can relate to each other, ways parents and children can relate to each other. And this is going to be three sermons, because I can't fit it all into this sermon. So if you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word, not the village church's word, not the word of Presbyterian Church in America, and not the word of Alex Shipman. So that means wherever I say today, if it offends you, then please go do business with Jesus, because this is his word. Let us pray. Father, guys, we come to the preaching of your word. We need your spirit. We don't need more of Alex. We need more of your spirit. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need your spirit, Lord. We need him to, to bring us to this place where, where we will where be sensitive to the teaching of your word. And that he will use it to apply it to our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, we are at the altar of grace. In need of more grace, not less of grace, more of it. So, Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are the one who is going to lead us into all truth. And so we need you to move because if you do not move, lives are not changed. People do not repent. Sinners don't come into the kingdom if you don't change hearts. So change hearts for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of his people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Union with Christ changes the way family members relate to each other. It changes the way spouses relate to one another. It changes the way a husband and a wife relate. See, a Christian husband and a Christian wife are to relate to one another out of their new self, out of their new identity. They should not relate to each other out of their old self and their old ways. They should not do life together in their old identity. Well, what's the old identity, Pastor? The old identity is in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, self-centered passions, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, God is, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. That's the old self. And those words don't just apply to the, to the church family. And how church members are supposed to relate to one another. It also applies to your home. To your marriage. To your family. To the way you deal with your kids. And to the way your kids deal with you. It also applies there. If a, if a family operates with these things, that family falls apart. If you are a Christian family and you operate in this way, you're doing life this way, you are unhealthy. You are unhealthy. But in Christ says you don't have to have a marriage that is built on these things. You don't have to have an immediate family that is built in the old ways. You can do life in a different way. You don't have to live in the old self. You don't have to wear the clothes of the old self. You don't have to do marriage in your old identity. You don't have to, 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 to have a marriage where sexual immorality and impurity and, and self-centered passions and evil desires and, and covetedness are the norm. 
You don't have to be a spouse who wear the clothes of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. You don't have to be a self-centered spouse. You don't have to have a marriage built on lies. You don't have to have a marriage that's saturated with family of origin issues and brokenness. You don't have to have that. You can put to death what is earthly in you. You can take off those dirty clothes. For Christ has set you free from the old self through his death, through his resurrection. So that means you don't have to use your freedom to enslave yourself to the very things Christ has delivered you from. And I said that last week. That's what union in Christ means. You have freedom, and you do not have to use that freedom to enslave yourself to the very things he delivered you from. In Christ, you aren't your past. For some of you, you need to hear that. In Christ, you aren't your father. You are not your mother. In Christ, you are not what has happened to you in your past. In Christ, your current failures and struggles do not define you. In Christ, you will struggle with the old self, but you don't have to live in it. There can be freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may take months and years of counseling to get there, but you can get there. It may take a support group. It may take giving up something that you enjoy, but you can get there. All believers, married and unmarried, are in union with Jesus. And I can't say that enough. It's important for you to know that. That you have spiritually died with Christ. You have been spiritually resurrected with Christ. You have eternal security with Christ. You have a future transformation awaiting for you with Christ. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you're in union with him. You are his. You are his adopted son and daughter. And that means something. You are his chosen ones. His beloved. His treasured possession. Do you understand this and do you believe it? Or is it me just trying to be poetic? Is it truth that you believe? Because if you don't believe it, it makes no difference in your life whatsoever. You have to believe it for yourself. In Christ, you are a new creation. You, are, you have a new self. You have a new identity. Everything about you is wrapped up in who Christ is. All your security is in Jesus. All your significance is in Jesus. All your value is in Jesus. All your dignity is in Jesus. All your self-worth is in Jesus. All your righteousness, all your forgiveness, all your acceptance, your right standing before God, your salvation, all of it is found in Christ alone. And right now, you all should be like Bruno Mars. That's what I like. Hey, 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 I got a Savior in the heavens. But do you believe it? Jesus is the greatest of all time. He is the fairest Lord. He is the glorious Christ. He brings resurrection. He brings redemption. He brings restoration to you, to your kids, to your family, to your marriage, to grandparents, to husbands and to wives. He does that. Ladies, young ladies, little girls. My sisters, your identity is not in being a wife. Your identity 
It's not in being a wife. Little girls who will one day become wives, your identity will not be in being a wife. It's not your security. It's not your significance. Wife is a role. It's a role. So if you're not a wife, that doesn't make you less than women who are. And if you are a wife, that doesn't make you better than women who aren't. Both married and unmarried women are equally in union with Christ, equally loved by him, equally cared for by him, equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in self-worth. Both find their identity in Jesus. Not in being a good wife and not in being good wifey material. Christ alone. So, ladies, you got to know who you are in Jesus, then you're going to know your worth. Then you won't settle. But if you don't know who you are in Christ, you won't ever know your true worth. Because Jesus is the one that changes everything about you and the way you see yourself. And you have to believe that. And the same is true for you men. Single men, married men. Your identity is in Christ alone. Not in being the ideal husband and not in being the good husband material. Know who you are in Jesus. Then you will know your worth. You would know your value. Your security, men, your significance, men, is found in Jesus as well. As well. Author and blogger Jasmine Holmes wrote a blog post entitled, Single for a Reason, Eight Lies We Tell Unmarried Women. Listen to these words she wrote. She says, my greatest comfort as a single was that ultimately marriage was completely outside my control. I wasn't single because I was dropping the ball. I was single because God still had work to do in my life and lessons to teach me in that season. Do single people need to grow? Absolutely. But so do married people. Our marital state is not indicative of our spiritual maturity. Our marital state is not indicative of our spiritual maturity. All it indicates is that God is most glorified to work in us in whatever season he has us in. Amen. So you have to embrace the season God has you in. If you're single, it's not punishment. If you're married, it ain't punishment either. It's the season he has you in. Now, if you're married, you chose that now. Don't blame that on Jesus. You have to rest in that truth. And your identity is in Christ because it's found in Christ and not in being a husband and not in being a wife. Adam and Eve was, it was the first married couple, the first husband and first wife. But guess what? Adam was not created in the image of an ideal husband. Eve was not created in the image of an ideal wife. They were both equally created in the image of God Amen. before they became husband and wife. They were created like opposites. Do you know what that means? It means equal in dignity, value, and self-worth, but distinguished by gender. Like opposites. Male, female. Both were created in the image of God, but, to, but they're also created to complement one another as well. Like opposites. And marriage is where you see this lived out beautifully. 
A husband, husband and wife are roles within the marriage and within the family household. And believers are to function in those roles by putting on your new self in Christ, putting on your new identity, wearing the new clothes that Christ has given you, the new virtues and new qualities that Paul mentions here in verse 12. Put then on as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Is that how your marriage functions? Is that how you function with your spouse in your marriage? As a Christian, as a believer, these are the clothes that you are to wear in your marriage. Are you wearing them? If family matters, then spouses will strive to wear these clothes as they relate to one another. Out of this new identity, out of this new self, this is how we can do what Paul says we can do here. Because, if again, if you don't understand who you are in Jesus, there's no need to be talking about submission and husband loving their wives if you don't first understand this. Because this helps you do that. Amen. Who you are in Christ helps you be the wife and husband you need to be. So if you mess up here, it's going to mess up here. you got to understand this first. So when spouses wear these clothes, this is what the result would be in that marriage. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husband as it is fitting to the Lord. Now, how does that make you feel, ladies? What's the first thought that comes to mind? Some of you may be feeling a little warm. Some of you may get into your feelings, saying in your mind, I got your submission, Pastor, right here. I got it right here. I got your submission. I have it. Hey, I understand. I understand those feelings. Because for some women, submission is like biting into a lemon. You want sour? Get a frown on your face? And I get it. The word does not have a good reputation in our culture. It's a dirty word in our progressive society. And there are reasons for that. Because submission has been abused and misunderstood. And historically, the church has done a poor teaching job on it. That ain't the world's fault. The church has done a poor teaching job on it. And there are many sisters in Christ who have been wounded because of that unbiblical teaching. And some are still being wounded by it. So before we can talk about what it is, we have to say what it's not. We have to say what it's not. First, biblical submission isn't stated of the wife's identity. It's not stated of the wife's identity. I mean, it has nothing to do with her value, self-worth, and dignity. It doesn't make her less than the husband. It doesn't make her an object. It doesn't make her a second-class citizen in the family. It doesn't make her inferior. Remember, every woman is equally created in the image of God, equally created in his image. Second, submission doesn't subjugate the wife. She's not a slave to her husband. She's not his property that he owns, an object that he can treat any way he wants to. It doesn't mean the wife has to treat her husband like a god, waiting on him hand and foot. doesn't mean she has to put up with nonsense, with abuse, with abandonment, passivity. It doesn't mean she has to give him to his ungodly ways. doesn't mean she's limited to domestic duties and childbearing. Thirdly, Submission doesn't silence the wife. 
Does it mean the husband gets to make all the family decisions without the wife's input and wisdom? Does it mean the wife, the wife has to cast aside her concerns, ideas, and plans? Does it mean she can't question and challenge him on things? Submission does not make the wife mindless. Okay? Does not make her mindless. Does it mean she can't make her own decisions? Last year, John Piper wrote an article called Six Things Submission Is Not. In his second part in this article, uh, he says, Submission does not mean leaving our brain at the altar. Submission doesn't mean leaving our brain at the altar. And he shared an interesting encounter he had with a couple. And listen to what Piper says. He says, I dealt with this one couple. The wife said her husband demanded that she get permission to go to the bathroom. Hey, it's some weird stuff out there. Demanded that she get permission to use the restroom. And Piper says, that really happened. I just looked at him and said, you're not well. (laughs) You're not well. You have an unbelievably distorted view of the fellow heirs of grace of life. You don't understand the Bible. You're taking the word like authority and leadership and submission and stepping away from the Bible and filling those words up with what you want to do. You're not getting that from the Bible. You're not getting that from the Bible. And the church says, amen. Amen. You better say amen, brothers. (laughs) Biblical submission does not mean a wife is silent. Does it mean she's segregated? It is not stative of her identity. But it does mean something. It does mean something. Biblical submission is about a role and function within a Christian household. Please get that. Hear that. Understand that. It's about the wife's role and function. Not about her identity. Not about her value and self-worth. It's about a role. A wife's submission recognizes that God has created order within the Christian family. Within the family context. Husband, headship, leadership. Wife, helper to her husband. And submission recognizes that. The wife is the helpmate for her husband. And her role is not less than. It is necessary and important. It's necessary and important. Second, submission is a call, not a curse. It's a call, not a curse. The call isn't from the church. It's not from the husband. The calling is from the Lord himself. Have you ever thought about that, ladies? The submission is a calling. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's proper in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands. So that means it's not evil, it's not oppressive, and it's not demeaning, and it's not beneath you. It's a beautiful call. It's good, and it's part of the way God has ordered the family. And as Christian wives, You must live out that role in your new identity in Christ. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You won't do it in the old self. The old self hates that. It would not do this. Only in Christ were you able to be a wife who submits to her husband. You're in Christ. 
It changes the way a wife functions. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Finally, biblical submission is a choice. It's a choice. You see, a wife is to voluntarily submit to her husband. It's a choice that she makes. And that's what the term here in verse 18 means. Paul is telling Christian wives to continue to voluntarily submit themselves to their husbands. To voluntarily place themselves under his leadership, his protection, his care, his love, and provision. Submission is what a wife gifts to her husband as his helpmate. Do you know that, men? Her submission is a gift to you as your helpmate. It's not something you force. It's not something you demand. It's not something you take. She gives it to you because she loves you and respects you, not because she's beneath you. I need some more amens on that now. Okay. She gives it to her husband. He never takes it from her. She voluntarily gives it to him. And that's what submission is. It's a choice. It's a choice. Biblical submission under biblical leadership in the home is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It will help you fight against, ladies, the desire to have your husband role in marriage. You submitting to your husband's leadership ministers to him because you're helping him live out his role and responsibility in the family. Don't worry, I'm going to be talking about the husbands in a few weeks. So it ain't just about the wives. A helper who submits to her husband builds him up. This is seen in you supporting him, encouragement of him, affirmation and acknowledgement. This is seen in you following his lead in the direction of the family. If your husband is passive, it's you coming alongside of him, helping him be a little more proactive. If he's too aggressive and harsh in his leadership, it's you help calling him out on that at the reconciliation table. So you bear with him. You forgive him. You walk with him. Helping him be, you know, the man that God wants him to be. You will either be a tool of building your husband up or a tool that brings him down. A man who knows that his wife respects him can conquer the world. But a man who knows his wife does not respect him become a shell of a man. He can have all the power in the world, all the money in the world. But if he comes home to a wife who doesn't respect him, he becomes less of a man. I don't know why God made us that way, but that's the way God made us. We need our wife to respect us. That makes, that, knowing that Waikita respects me makes me feel like I can conquer the world. If she doesn't respect me, I don't care what y'all say about me. It means nothing if I, if I don't have hers. And the same for every other husband here, our future husband. So biblical submission is a choice. It is a call. It is a role given to Christian women. Joe and Becky were on top of the world when they got married. Careers were on high gear. They found each other as soulmates. Everything in their life was going well until something happened and that challenged and changed their marriage and lives forever. Joe was diagnosed with MS. And if you know anything about MS, you know that it's a chronic disease that, 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 where the immune system attacks the brain and, and, and spinal cord. And Joe says, all of a sudden, I was out of work and had this diagnosis. I remember thinking, what the heck am I going to do? I was in shock. I felt guilty. My, my disease was going to affect not only my life, but Becky's as well. 
I mean, I went from having a six-figure income to applying for disability insurance. I isolated myself for a whole year. I didn't want to share. I didn't want pity or help. But Becky never pulled away from me. She never pulled away from me. Never. Joe was diagnosed with a primary pro- progressive type of MS. He is in a wheelchair. He cannot bathe himself. He cannot take care of himself anymore. cannot dress himself anymore. He's becoming more and more dependent on Becky. And realizing that things were never going to be the same again, Becky says, I know other couples dealing with MS who seem so bitter with the caregiver always yelling at their spouse who suffers from the disease for things that aren't his fault. I vowed not to let that happen to me. MS has taken a lot from this couple, put a lot of stress on their marriage, but it did not tear them apart. And the author who wrote this article about them, she says, changes have rocked their lives daily, even caused them to question their roles in the Trinity of marriage. But one thing hasn't altered in the slightest, their love for and commitment to each other. Joe says, Becky has never, Becky has taken over many of my roles in marriage, but she has never acted as though I was her patient. She treats me like her husband with love and respect. You go do the same, ladies. You go do the same. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you are good. You are faithful, you are merciful, and I praise you that because of our union with you, our spouses can be good spouses to one another. And so I do thank you for your mercy, thank you for your grace, and as we come to your table, I pray that you will use this Lord's table, this Lord's supper to minister to all of us. Each of us here, Lord, as believers, we we need spiritual nourishment. And I know your spirit takes these, these common elements and he can use them to, to nourish us spiritually. So I thank you, Lord, and I praise you in Christ's name. Amen. This Lord's table is a reminder. Well, again, if you're a guest today, thank you so much for joining us. And also inside of our worship guide, there are some upcoming events. So I will please ask you to take note of those events and govern yourselves accordingly. Also, I will be traveling next week to St. Louis, the family and I. I'm speaking at a conference there, and I'll be preaching at Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri that Sunday. So please pray for our travels, that God will get us there back, get us there and back safely. Now here's the God's benediction to his beloved people. Now to him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.